Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Hey, it's time once again for the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Your host, Steve Fielder, here coming at you on a cold winter night here in Florida. I mean, it the thermometer has dipped way, way down into the 50s down here. <laughs> 51 degrees today. Ella turned the heat on for the first time in the house. Got out the jackets and and stuff. Put away the flip-flops and the shorts for a day or two. It's been uh, uh, wintertime down here in the Southland. I got my buddies, Kest and Jesse and Mark Miller with me today. I told you guys here a couple episodes ago that these fellas will be showing up a, a little more often, and glad to have them with us. How y'all doing? How you doing, Cassie? Doing good, doing good. About to freeze. You been <laughs> about huh? to freeze to death. Just got in. <laughs> about to freeze to death. Well, join the club now. Is it fifty up there in Virginia? If it was fifty here, I'd be turning the air conditioner off. <laughs> That's warm. That's warm. All right, the guy with the ZZ Top beard, Mr. Mark Miller, what are you doing? North Carolina, is it balmy breezes up there today? It's a little breezy. I think it's already 32 degrees here. 32. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's about freezing. Did you have to break ice in the dog water this morning? Uh, No, it it was right at freezing, but it didn't freeze the dog water this morning, but... Last three mornings it has been. Hmm. I think it's going to be 24 in the morning here. 24 degrees. Well, you know, when I hunted out in Arizona and uh, New Mexico, bear hunted, uh, back when I was young and dumb and could run up and down those mountains, I remember uh, we'd be breaking water in the dog buckets uh, in the morning when we got up about daylight. But then by up in the mid, mid-morning mid or midday, the temperature would be up 70 degrees or so. So it was kind of hard to know what to wear, you know, and all. But uh, I always liked that, get out there a little frosty uh, feeling, a little, little freshness to the air type thing. But don't get many days uh, that it's cool like that uh, down here. Keston, you spent the day deer hunting, didn't Yeah, you? I've been in the woods all day since I heard before daylight this morning. I've been in the woods. Yeah, what'd you see? I seen a bunch. I guess I seen 27, 28 deer, four or five bucks, two or three decent bucks, just nothing worth shooting. You hunt the horns, and, and you like to get a pretty decent one. Don't yeah, there's a lot of people around here that kill the first thing they see and there's a lot of people around here that aggravate me about it all the time because it's very rare that i shoot something but when i do it's normally a pretty good one yeah boy i've been seeing on facebook a lot of good deer this year uh do you deer hunt mark no i don't deer hunt at all are you kind of like isaiah kid the old plot breeder my dad and i asked him one time if he wanted to go trout fishing with us over there on Potts Creek, which is a creek you can see back toward Peters Mountain from where he lived. And he said, well, will a plot dog tree one? And <laughs> Dad said, well, no, I never heard of that. And he said, well, I'm not interested. <laughs> 
It wasn't any fishing for him if it didn't have a plot dog behind it. He wasn't interested. Are there a lot of deer hunters down there where you are, Mark? Oh, yeah. There's lots of deer hunters around here. Uh, There's some nice ones get brought out of these mountains, but Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm a dog man, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always been that way, too. I've killed deer, and I've been, you know, I've deer hunted a little bit. But the last effort that I made a deer hunting was up on the farm where my dad was raised in Tennessee, hunting with my cousins up there. And as it just worked out, I got, uh, we got this little trip together late in the season. It was muzzleloader season. So I went and I bought a muzzleloader and I've never killed a deer with it, but I'd like to kill one with it. Um. Keston, you ever kill one with a muzzle? Yeah, I've killed several with a muzzle. I was going to ask Mark, uh, can, do they run deer with dogs down there where you're at? Are you allowed to do that down there? Uh, not in this county. No, you have to go to the coast or to, to dog deer. Yeah, that's the way it is here in Virginia, too. I didn't know if it's different down there or not. Uh, no. <clears throat> you know, that's a big thing down here in Florida. I mean, most most any time you see a dog box in the back of a truck down here, it's going to be a deer hunter or a hog hunter. And we got hogs out running out our ears down here. I mean, they you can kill a hog. I, I may get in trouble for this, but I believe that you can kill a, a hog by any means at any time down here. I often say, I guess you could dynamite them if you if you wanted to. What about you, Mark? Uh, I'm thinking me and Kesson need a road trip down there because I'm down with some hog hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have any hog dogs. You get so fevered to catch one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no comment to that one. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been in somebody's barnyard, I can tell. <laughs> Boy, my hey, Kasten, this is one up there around in your area, and I better not disclose the names cause the, to protect the innocent, but my brother was coon hunting one night, and he had this plot dog named Old Jim. And Jim was out of a cross, man, probably the best cross I ever made in plot dogs. I bred a female what my dad and I had named Blackie, took her out to Everett Weems in Illinois, and we bred to his... A uh, dog named Puny. Puny was a night champion. He was also a bear dog. But they were out of this cross called Butch and Jill, and it was made about five or six times. And we had two of those dogs, and one of them, Fancy, was is in the Hall of Fame. But she, it was her daughter, Blackie, that I took out there and bred to Puny. And it produced a whole litter of good dogs. And this one dog named Jim, my buddy up in northern West Virginia, uh, named Robert Gallantine, had this this dog. And uh, for some reason sold him or some situation there. I can't remember what. He needed to let the dog go. And my brother took him. And, and my brother really enjoyed hunting. But anyway, this dog one night got he. I guess he thought he was treed, but he was bayed, and he was in right up against a barn in a in a fenced enclosure with barbed wire on it and a big old buck sheep in there. 
and old Jim had bayed that sheep. Now, he wasn't, you know, and it was getting kind of intense. And, of course, you know, you don't want dogs that bother stock, whether it's cows, especially sheep. I hunted a lot around sheep in the eastern part of West Virginia back during my hunting days. And, uh, you know, the farmers don't take uh, very kindly to dogs running their sheep. And uh, most of them won't bother them. But old Jim, I don't know what he thought he had there, but my brother said, you talk about a, an ordeal trying to get over that fence, first of all, and then get old Jim to get him out of there. And that old buck sheep wasn't too happy either. So, uh, but anyway, that's that's one of them rabbit paths, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, hunting with dogs has always been my first love. I got started at it, you know, real little through my dad. And I just never really cared a whole lot about hunting anything without a dog, except I did squirrel hunt a lot when I was a kid. With you know, we used to shotgun back in in the mountains there. But uh, did y'all ever doing squirrel hunting when you're little? Or yeah, young? I, I maybe a lot. still she do still hunt. But uh, I'd like to have a squirrel dog if I could find a good one. I'd like to buy one. That's something I, I've never squirrel hunted <laughs> with a dog. That's something I like to do. <clears throat> well, I, have you done that, Mark? Uh, so two years ago, we went down towards. Halifax to hunt a game lands with uh, mm-hmm. we was coon hunting it after deer season and uh, we hunted a deer club they let us come on after deer season and we took a squirrel dog with us a guy did and uh, we squirrel hunted with him during the day and coon hunted at night and uh, that, may, that yeah. was uh, that was I ain't never seen a dog that more accurate than a squirrel dog than that one. Because when he treed, he had a squirrel. It was yeah. just, they hard to find, though, so if they're sitting still. <clears throat> I take that back. I said I had never squirrel hunted with a dog. I, I did go one time with a guy, but I wasn't, it wasn't a real good experience. His his little dog would tree everything. It was a little fast and well, it treed groundhogs. I didn't know groundhogs climb a tree. It treed groundhogs. <laughs> treed two or three bobcats. It treed everything but a squirrel. I never did see a squirrel up his tree, but he always had something of it. There used to be a coon hunter in West. Oh, you got something no, more? No, there's a coon hunter in West Virginia named Chick Scarborough. And the other day when I was talking to Fred Moran, he mentioned Chick because I think maybe he and Chick had done some dog deals or something over the years. And Chick was a guy that would go around through the country there in southern West Virginia. If somebody had a good tree dog, he'd buy it. And then he'd put it in full cry and and resell it. You know, In fact, I'm putting together a podcast uh, for the future here on – uh, a guy that was real popular about selling dogs from Full Cry Magazine, a guy named Cass Walker from Knoxville, Tennessee. Do you ever, either of you ever hear of him? I've seen his ads before. Yeah, okay. It's going to be interesting. Uh, but at any rate, this chick Scarborough would go around through the country and he'd find a good dog somewhere and he'd, you know, pay a decent price for it. But then he'd put it on full cry and, of course, make a little profit, you know. And he sold 
some nice dogs around the country, and what he dealt with was not junk. And Chick wasn't a crook. You know, he when he advertised something in the magazine, it's pretty much the way he told it. Chick was quite a character. He had a real reputation as a kid or even as a young man about them. Uh, we call them beer joints, roadhouses and stuff around there, southern West Virginia. He was a brawler. <laughs> you know, I mean, as my mom would say, he'd fight at the drop of the hat and drop it himself, you know. But uh, anyway, Chick told me this story one time. He said he had a guy from up in the northeast he thought was New Jersey come down to try this great big walker dog that he'd put in full cry. And he went out there at a place called Sand Lick, and any listeners in southern West Virginia know where I'm talking about. But anyway, they turned this walker dog down in that big country, down in a big hollow, sat back there, and it was uh, it was in the summertime, you know, or maybe early fall. And they were sitting back there listening, and after a bit, that old walker dog rolled up on a tree way back on a ridge. Kind of reminds me of some of those walks that you take, Keston, to old Clyde from time to time. <laughs> so, and I I don't want to uh, use the Lord's name in vain here, but I'm going to tell you exactly what Chick told me about what this guy said. Anyway, that walker dog rolled up on a tree, and boy, he was sounding good. And so here they go. And they hike, and they I guess they dropped off in a hollow and climbed back on a big ridge. Got way up on the very tip top of this ridge, and it was just a razorback-like. And there that dog was, sitting right at the top of that ridge under a <laughs> groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> And Chick said that guy looked at him in his Yankee accent, and he said, Christ, Chick, he's a woodchuck dog. Well, <laughs> 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 that was a funny story. I know Chick could tell those stories and just roll, but he, he, he was a great guy, and he's gone on. We used to have the water races for our club at his place out there in Shady Springs, West Virginia. But uh, uh, I groundhog hunted with dogs. My buddy uh, Howard Meadows and I in the mountains, we take he had little feist-type dogs, and we'd take them and we'd dig them out, yeah. you know. I don't know if that's legal or not. <laughs> it, it would run them up fence post and tree them. It'd run them up. Anything it would get yeah. above that little dog, it would tree. It just never did tree. I never did see a squirrel, and that's what we hunting. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of my experiences was when I went to PKC and we started a squirrel dog program. And man, I never walked so much in my life as judging the squirrel dog cast. And these guys, you know, squirrel hunting has got to be big time, and and they've had, they've got some good money in squirrel hunting now. You know. It, I, I don't know whether they're PKC hunts. I think there are other other brands. I know Greg Maynard there with the Pro Sport Organization. He's been active in, in squirrel hunting. And and then Chuck uh, Gaeta, we're going to get him on the podcast. Uh, I don't know how much they have done along that line, but he's 
got a good line of squirrel dogs. So squirrel hunting is a big deal nowadays with dogs. And and I'd love to do it. I did a little in North Carolina when I lived in Raleigh. But uh, but that's just, just one more thing. You know, there just isn't enough hours in the day to do all the stuff you want to do with these dogs. One of the things I grew up doing was bear hunting with my dad. And I know, Mark, that you've been doing a little bit of that with you, your buddy Brad Hyatt. Uh, had a pretty good weekend, didn't Oh, you? yeah, I had a good weekend this weekend. What did y'all get into? Well, we, uh, we started over on uh, this pretty good spot we've been seeing a lot of sign in and uh, went in there and uh, we had, uh, this is the last day, Saturday, so we had, uh, we just decided to take everything but two old dogs. Took the puppies, took them all, and we drove up in there, and they all they all blowed up in the box rigging, and uh, it was a tr- they was in there so good that we got believe it or not they're they're probably four to five months old, and they jumped out the bo- dog box holes, the rigging holes, and hit the ground and started running this bear at that young age and uh well you've been sending me pictures of those pups and and that and videos they're pretty amazing they, aren't they? you know i did a yeah, yeah go I, ahead I, and i want i can't believe i tell them they're too young but i'm i'm done give up on trying to tell them they're too young now because man they'll pile up on one in a minute at that young <laughs> mm. yeah you ever been bear hunting with dogs? Yeah, I've Kesson? been. Uh, I've been two or three times. Yeah, I have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got a lot of bear hunters in your yeah, area. Yeah, there, there's a you? bunch. There's there's actually a bunch over here. The a guy that works for me, his whole fame was big bear hunters, and I want to say they treat seventy, eighty bear a year, and they, they don't kill mm. none of them. Though. I mean, they just they mm. tree them and let them go. So I'm sure they're treating the same bear over, you know. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anybody who listens to a podcast knows who Heath Hyatt is. Um, Heath and I have been friends for a number of years, and I've bear hunted a lot with Heath over the years. And their party over there, and I don't know what they did this last summer, but the training season comes in, I think, in July in, in uh, Virginia. If not July, by early August anyway. And for two years in a row there, I know they treed uh, 50 plus bears between training season and the end of the year. And basically in the mountains, now you get an early season, usually in late September, early October. And then you get a December season. Now in North Carolina, Mark, I think your early season is now, isn't it, or did it just It just finish? ended Saturday. Yeah. So it's all in, is it all in November, or does it start in October? It starts in October uh, with coon season and runs till okay. this weekend. Ended Saturday because rifle season comes in Monday, and they got three weeks of rifle in Caldwell, and then when it, is that just still still hunting? No dogs. Well, it's uh, deer. Or, or 
oh, oh, deer, oh, deer hunting because bear season ended. Rifle season comes in Monday for three weeks, and then it goes back out, and it's bow only for deer. And then we get the last two weeks of the year to bear hunt late season. I got you. Well, this podcast is going to air on December the 5th, uh, and that'll be about probably uh, the Monday. I'm going to guess the Monday that this airs is probably when the Virginia uh, guns, you know, the, uh, the, the winter season, uh, the main season. It'll go up into January, I believe. And... Uh, a lot of people go to Wisconsin, Michigan, all that up in September when their seasons are in, and it's a little foreign to them to be bear hunting in the snow, but we always hunted in the snow, you know, all the time I was growing up. Was there snow on the ground when you uh, hunted this week? Lord, no. Uh-uh. It was frost on the ground now. It was cold <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. So you all got up early then? Did you strike that uh-uh. track? Off the rig, or we early. struck it off rig. It was daylight, you know. You got to wait till daylight. Turn a dog loose. Uh, right. Struck him off early. Uh, the pups struck off. They well, they start diving out of the box because they can get out of the holes. There's a little. Uh, Brad told me she'd go up there and see if you can see where he's coming from. Hit the trail, and I went up there and I found the trail where he's been walking down the mountain and. Uh, uh, about that time, he cut one of our lead dogs, and he come up our opening and was working in the creek there where he come, and I stepped off. I was standing off the trail. I didn't want to stand on the trail where he'd come from, and uh, I hollered at him, and then the, our two fast dogs come, and then it was just like a train, and them two went by. looked like you watching NASCAR on the fence, and it was just a line of them shooting by i mean they were rolling and uh old bears were laying up there in the laurel thicket not far from them busted them up and it was on them yeah yeah did you have a pretty decent race out of uh well we had two going they were two together i see uh two fast dogs uh busted off leading the pack by about 200 yards and they were just stroking out of there up over the mountain and the other pack was treed well they were showing treed and they were with the bigger bear and uh they were walking him well end up being a her mm. walking her up the mountain well the other two fast dogs uh they're smoking one and we're like we're just thinking we don't know what's going on yet well, they're cutting across the mountain, and uh, we decided, well, they're leaving the other, the rest of them are leaving the pups, and the rest of the old dogs are leaving with a bear going with them. He said, we need to get back to the trucks and drive around. So we get back to the trucks. Uh, one guy's got his boy with him. He's never killed a bear. So... He gets out there first because we want that young and kill bear. So uh, they shoot out there first. I'm like last one out. I catch a ride in another truck. I get out. Brad's out, and they're on. They're on around. Well, I'm with my driver, and I tell her, uh, Lindsay, 
there's a woman that hunts with us and uh, she's driving me and I tell her to stop. The dogs are right here. Well, I stop on the side of the road and I'm watching the mountain. Well, they're bait up right there. They're about 200 yards in the woods. And I'm sitting there watching them on the Garmin and uh, they're Brad and uh, the other guy and his youngins are on around the mountain. And uh, I can't hear nothing from one of them going on because I've got like seven dogs bait up. And uh, <laughs> about that time, I hear Brad comes on the radio. He said, Kelly's coming back around. You might need to give him some help. Well, I don't know what's going on. He comes on around there, and they slow down enough. I'm like, what's going on? And that boy had shot that bear crossing the road. And they'd had him loaded up. Mm. And I tell him, I said, well, instead of unloading that bear, I said, there's something going on right here. I said, just go get my truck and bring it back. Leave the bear in that truck. So that's what they go do. And I'm standing there, well, the bear breaks and goes back across the mountain. And uh, I we jump in the truck and drive back around. And I park. Uh, Kelly and his boy come back with my truck. And I motioned him by him. I'm, I'm too low. I said, go on past me. He's coming off the mountain. So they drive on past me, go on up the road. I jump back in the truck, pull on up. And I tell Lindsay, he says, stop right here. And the truck's still rolling. I'm opening the door, pulling the gun out. <laughs> and I step out <laughs> and I walk down the road bank there. And I can see the laurel bushes shaking. And the dogs is blowing up. I said, well, here he comes. And there's an opening down below me and uh, or down below hit, and they're coming down. And when it stepped out in that open and come down, and when it seen me and turned sideways, I laid her down. And uh, them dogs piled on that thing, and I was like, had to run off the bank, cross this pretty good creek, <coughs> up the bank. Well, here this thing's... He still got use of an arm and a, and his jaws still working. And he's mm. done hooked the puppy's collar, and he's got his mouth open. He's pulling that puppy to him, and I holler to dogs to get back, and they kind of like part. And I just stick that rifle right down in on him and just pull the trigger. And that's the end of the show for that. So, well, you things got western there. Oh for yeah, sure. So, that's the best uh, way to be. That's when it's wide open. That's the way I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've shot bear out of trees, and for those people that have never killed a bear, oh. it's a thrill. And I and I and I encourage you to go do it if you can. But as I got into my bear hunting days, and my dad as well, uh, that. Killing one on the ground like that, fighting the dogs, that's the ultimate uh, uh, to me. That, to know. me, there's nothing more make you start trembling is that. Getting in there amongst one and on the ground, there ain't nothing like that in the world. Well, it's an adrenaline rush mm -hmm. for sure. And, uh, you know, it reminds me, we killed a nice bear out in, in – uh, the White Mountain Apache Reservation in Arizona with uh, 
professional guide, Tom David, out there. He's the one that hunted my singer and rube dogs out there for three seasons. And uh, we had one of those situations like that on one of the hunts. And the bear had Tom's smoky dog up in his, as we say, arms, his front legs, you know, and he was trying to put the put the, the, the bite on him. And Tom, uh, that forty five seventy uh changed his mind <laughs> <That's right. laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> what did what did you shoot this bear with? Uh forty five seventy. What kind of gun were you? Is that what you Oh had? yeah. I got that little man oh, yeah. complex too. I carry a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, boy, they'll they'll stop it, you know. Over the years, you know, my dad, he he was kind of a purist, you know. He had his ways of he way he liked to do things, but he didn't really ever try to force that on anybody. He would suggest it, but he wouldn't force. It. But he said, "I've seen too many bear shot with two forty threes that jumped back oh, yeah. up, you know, and either took up took off or." hurt the dogs or killed the dogs or whatever. And he's, of course, we always hunted with a 30 out six with a, a Remington 742 with a, and used a, a 220 grain Corlock bullet. And that a pretty well numb one, you know, but that 4570, man, that's a bear gun. You can kill anything you want to kill. With yes, that. sir. Uh, well, the, the rest of the hunting group uh, carry 3030s with the, 220 grain core locks. And uh, mm -hmm. if they're in a tree, they ain't nothing work no better than a 3030. So don't, I mean, you shoot them right. in the head, they, I, everyone I've seen fell out dead. Uh, yeah. Well, my dad taught me when I was little when a, a bear's in a tree, you know, try to, he liked to shoot them right at the base of the yep. ear, you know, right there in that kind of hollow pump part right at the at the bottom of the ear there and uh, do you ever you killed a bear keston in fact i've seen uh you got the mount right there uh i actually killed kill that, that i was bear? actually deer hunting i killed that with a bow he, 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 15 yards oh, okay. shot him. but uh, i got you what uh, kind of bow were you using? I, I know <laughs> nothing about a bow. I know they have an arrow <laughs> and they have uh, a string. And and then they got they got training <laughs> wheels on them. It, it was a whole way compound bow. Uh, but that, that's what I killed okay. that bear with. Yeah. What was he doing? Was he, he, he was just coming through just grazing a, on acorns. <laughs> Uh, didn't yeah, even really expect yeah. him. I was deer hunting, you know. Were you in a uh, you in a tree stand or your yeah, sling or yeah, whatever? Yeah, I was in a tree hunting? saddle. I hunted a tree saddle. Explain to me how it, that it, works. It's basically you, you gotta have a method to climb. I use uh, I got some carbon fiber climbing sticks. They're real light, but it basically straps around your legs and around your waist like a belt. And it's kind of like a, I don't know, kind of like a diaper in a sense. And when you get up there, it's got a, it's got a rope. You wrap your rope around a tree and you hook it to your waist and you just lean back into it and just sort of hang, really. And it, it's a, it's a lot more comfortable mm. than what it sounds. 
and you, you don't got to use a tree stand. You wear it everywhere you go. You just put it on a walk. It's just like a pair of shorts. And don't weigh nothing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Don't recommend this for beach. Yeah, though. yeah. Is that right? <laughs> when I started, you be like you be like Bubba, yeah. my old buddy Bubba. <laughs> I better not tell that story. Let's let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of a good Bubba story, but I think I'll save it due to our audience. Uh, well, you know, that bear hunting is a lot of fun, and I grew up in the home of a bear hunter. Once he started bear hunting, coon hunting became a secondary activity for him. And I know that uh, uh, Mark, your buddy, Brad Hyatt, is a dedicated bear hunter. Does he coon hunt anything? Uh, not unless I come to his house. He don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, that's good. Well, congratulations on your bear. That wasn't any skimpy little old bear. Uh, you figure about three fifty. Yeah, we figure about three fifty. Uh, I know when you put him on the tailgate of your truck, he was taking up all that tailgate from one side. Uh, to well, the other. putting him up there, he felt like yeah. about a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I. I we killed a bear one time over in Greenbar County, West Virginia, to dogs. And and we decided we'd drag it down this creek. And and when you're dragging a bear out of the mountains, you know, we about, if you can find a stream or a creek or something, they'll drag, you you know this, I'm sure, but they'll drag a whole lot better down a creek, you know, over the slippery uh-huh. rocks and, and that water and stuff than they will. I'm not talking about swimming water, but, you know, typical uh, uh, mountain stream. Well, we drug that bear a long way and got him down to a, a little road there. And after all that dragging and all that work, somebody decided, well, it would be better spot right down here to clean him, field dress him, than where he is right now. So we'll put a rope, uh, take the rope and just tie it to a the ball on a trailer hitch and pull him right down there on the truck. And he pulled, he pulled, uh, that bear. And as soon as he started moving, that bear flipped over and he drug him down there and it peeled every bit of the hair off the top of that bear's head. He looked as bald <laughs> as I am. I don't know what a taxidermist did with that if he had it mounted. But I thought, dang, man, we've drugged this bear all this far. <laughs> and now all we had was, you know, they had to take it 15 more yards. <laughs> but anywho. All right. Well, listen, uh, Mark, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a dog. You keep telling me when I got, you and I got, associated with each other through the internet, became partners on our little plot dog. Uh, you kept talking about this dog named Dreamer. And uh, I know that you studied the dog and and were pretty proud of, of the dog. Tell me Dreamer's story. Keston hadn't heard it, I'm sure. All right. Uh, he is a direct off a of hardwood bean. And... Uh, a female off of Nighttime Savage, which uh, I really liked the Savage dog. I hunted with the Bean Dog since he was 
six months old. Uh, now, Tim who Osborne owned him? Owned bean dog. He was a beautiful, right. right? I would say ninety pound black headed Walker dog, and I, I huge mouth. Right. I always did like him. Uh, so I ended up getting a pup off of him, and I, I raised him right here. Uh, he he just turned out. First time he ever uh, really showed his true colors. He's about seven months old. He crossed a woven wire fence on us ahead of my Grand Night Champion dog and treed two coons. And then uh, me and Jason Seal was hunting together, and uh, we both just looked at each other, and we knew something was up then, <laughs> that uh, I had something special. Yeah, yeah. Well, those dogs are black-headed dogs, beautiful hounds. I, you know, I remember well the Savage dog. Uh, I think he he uh, won. I, I believe he won the Super yes, Stakes. Yes, sir. He won year. Super Stakes. Uh, uh, won the Grand American, I think. James too. At. Yeah, and he had James Atwell there of uh, at. Uh, Around Bland, Virginia, which is in not too far from where yeah. you live, Keston, uh, off of seventy-seven. There, not far from where my brother lives. James had another dog called Nocturnal Overdrive. Uh, that was uh, so he kind of studied those two dogs. But what got my attention about Savage was my buddy David McKee, who is. Uh, President of the South Carolina Coon Hunters and kind of and the Grand American Association there puts on that big hunt every year and all. David and I have been close friends for a number of years. He had a female named Ann that was out of Savage that was a for real nice dog. And she had that big mouth too, you know, so. So Dreamer was out of a, a, a litter mate to Savage, is that what his you mother said? was his out mother? of Savage. Out of Savage, I see. Huh. Well, what what was he like? How how did he finish uh, out? What what did some he ended he up did? being about he weighed about eighty two pounds, uh, dead on the standard twenty seven inches at the shoulder. So he's a big walker dog. Uh, ended up dual grand HTX, you know PKC champion. Uh, a couple thousand in PKC. Uh, went to the world hunt three times with him. Uh, had a pretty successful breeding with him. Uh, after he passed, I got up to, he he come on the current reproducers list from being semen bred. And uh, we ended up getting him to number two current reproducer male in the country. Now, that's pretty awesome. Do you still have I semen sure on him? Yeah. And uh, well, the Crockett dog I hunt now that you'll get you've hunted with is uh, direct semen yeah. dog off of him, and the the Dixie dog you'll get to hunt with is a direct semen dog off of him. Uh, my twelve year old, he's a live bred 
Alfa och Vin. And uh, well, you've heard me talk about the uh, Benny and them boys I hunt with. Uh, they they got a different cross, but they got also got a semen bred dog off a dreamer also. Hmm, I see. Well, I tell you, when you get a good one like that, you don't oh, no. forget them, do you? Uh, he's. How long did he? He live? made it to ten. And he got something wrong in his spinal system in his back, and uh, it ended up uh, putting him down. Wow. Yeah. Well, they don't oh, ever no. live long enough, that's for sure. That's for sure. Keston, when you uh, first started coon hunting, you told me that you've hunted with some real good dogs down through the years. When you and I met, it's when you bought the pup off Randy Smith, the Clyde dog that you're hunting now what were some of those who'd you hunt with and what were some of the better dogs uh, you hunted with I started off hunting with a neighbor of mine uh, his name was Donald Ferguson and uh, he's passed on now but I used to hunt with him and I was real young you know I just I like shooting coons and I'd go with him and he had a real dog I didn't realize you know what he did have until looking back on it and uh it was, he hunted the type of dog sort of hunts with you. It didn't really, I don't ever really remember ever having to walk over maybe 400 yards to that dog. And it seemed like he was treed every 10, 15 minutes and had a coon. And I mean, there's some nights we'd, I mean, we'd see 10, waving 12 coons a night with him. And that, I mean, you don't normally do that around here. Not that good. And uh, it was a walker yeah, dog. What kind of dog was he? I don't know what he was out of. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he was off of. And uh, he passed on. I started hunting with another local guy here, Odell Music. And uh, he uh, always kept good dogs. He's the type of person, he'll buy a young dog. He'll get it started. He'll he'll really pound it till it's about two years old. And then he'll sell it and starts all over, starts from scratch again. And uh, had some really good hunts with him. Uh, you know, you tree 10, 12, 13 coons a night. And uh, well, that just seems like an awful lot of coons for your part of the country. You must have pretty good, pretty dogs, good dogs, and he he's always had real good access to a lot of good places to hunt. He uh, he's got some good hunting. Well, now although you're in the mountains, you're not in the rough rugged straight up and down well you've got access to that but you hunt around a lot of yeah uh, don't you it, it's mainly farms uh yeah. you can get into some rough stuff there's rougher stuff there's places you can go and you're lucky to tree coon and even some of the best places to hunt around here you know if the coons ain't moving you're i mean it's pretty tough but on average you, you know you can go out and hunt three or four hours and tree four or five coons and uh, it ain't ever not deal you tree 10 cones, but I mean, it's possible. Yeah. So that was a, a Walker dog. Was it a registered Well, when dog? I was talking Had about Odell, I'm talking about know. several dogs. Uh, like I said, but the, yeah, if oh, if okay. he's hunted, it's a Walker and it's registered. And uh, but he's more of a puppy guy. He just likes to get them going and move them on down the road and start fresh. Start with another. 
Yeah. Yeah, we talked about doing a podcast with him. Now, he's uh, how old is, is I'm going to say music now. I don't really know, but I'm going to say late 60s. Right around 70. Yeah, I got you. Hey, I want we're just bouncing around here tonight and uh I just a couple things come to mind. I want to talk to you just a little bit. I know that you kind of get into whatever you're doing, whether it's coon hunting or deer hunting or whatever, and you kind of like to go full bore. You did some coyote hunting. How did you get into that? And, and I think you, you got pretty in, heavily invested in in all the latest gear and all that stuff. No, you still I, I, do I, any I of that? I quit it for this coon hunting stuff. And how I got started in all that is, I used to coon hunt all the time, and then I got put on night shift. Had a night shift job, and I didn't have time to coon hunt, and uh, so I got into the coyote hunting. I could just do one a weekend. It's hard to make a dog if you only hunt it one or two nights a week, just on a weekend. So I, I bought this uh, Trigicon thermal scope and a gun, and called the whole setup, and started into that. And at first, it's pretty rough, you know, pretty tough to kill, but uh, got it figured out pretty quick, and. Uh, Got to kill six or seven a night on a really good night around here. That's good. But uh, killed a bunch of coyotes. Really loved that. Really liked it a lot. And I just sort of got sort of got tired of it. Got bored of it. The whole time, I, ever since I quit coon hunting, I regretted quitting it. And in the back of my mind, it was always still there. And I knew I'd come back to it. I just had to wait for the right opportunity. And uh, now that I'm coon hunting, if it's, if it's dark, I ain't got time to kill no coyotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you ever do that, Mark? No. Uh, coyote hunt. Uh, I I did a little bit around Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, when I lived there. My buddy Monk Perry, he's passed on now. Uh, we did a little bit of calling and uh, and all. And uh, I bought. <laughs> this has been. I don't know. Uh, it seemed like if I had all the gear that I've loaned to people over the years, <laughs> had it back, I could give old Bruce Conkey <laughs> a, a, a run for his money or, or DU supply. Uh, but uh, I was going to tell you, yeah, I spent all that money on all that coyote hunting stuff. And to start out with, I had a lot of trouble. It took me a while to figure it out, how to kill them, you know, how to get them, call them in and stuff. And then I, I've quit coyote hunting and started coon hunting. And I've sent you pictures. I've killed, what, two or three while I've been out coon hunting with just the light and my mouth lip squeaking them in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you see them run across the field and start lip squeaking <laughs> and got them to come to me and killed them with a twenty-two while I was coon hunting. <laughs> yeah, those things, <laughs> those things have gotten to be so... So popular, popular. I mean, populated. Uh, we were eat up with them in Michigan when I was up there, and it got progressively worse year after year. You know, I was up there about twenty one, twenty two years, and uh, I was up li out listening to my dogs trailing one night. And I was sitting up on a hill, a little cornfield. I used to turn loose at, and there was a patch of woods that went around it, and then a fence row that went to the west, and real good spot could always tree coons there and and uh dogs were trailing down in this little swampy area and i heard at one time 
from that hilltop, I could hear six different packs of coyotes at one time barking. And now hearing, I live in this holding pen for Yankees down here in Florida. It's uh, adult. It's not like that. It's a it's a fifty five and over community I live in, and and a golf course community that the golf course is no longer operational. They've turned it into a big green belt area, but we got coyotes everywhere down here. I've seen them walking right down the street here in front of my house at three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, these these things are everywhere now. And uh, I can see where, you know, back when they were maybe more scarce, uh, they might have been a little more exciting. Was that it, the reason you got kind of burned out on it? Uh, yeah, it got yeah, too easy it, for uh, you? Or I wouldn't say too easy. It's just after, you, after you've killed one, you've sort of killed them all. I mean, ain't nothing changes in between. Uh, and – I got that last year I hunted. I, I can't even remember that. I want to say I, it was in the 60s. I killed from January to January. Killed 60-some coyotes, and that's just hunting like two nights a week, you know. Uh, and it yeah. it's tough. you got to have a lot, a lot of ground. The thing about coyote hunting is is you got to have fresh ears. You can't hunt the same spots over and over. They get smart quick. Yeah, I mean, you're better off if, if you're going to get serious big into it and – you're going to hunt three or four nights a week. I mean, you really don't need to be hunting the same place more than twice a month. There's some of these guys that are real serious about it. They won't call the same place more than once a year. It, uh, it, they're pretty, there's some people, they have big competitions. Like you, coon hunters have competitions. They have these big coyote hunting tournaments and there's one that they hold in with and it's a $30,000 payout coyote hunt. Mm, that's awesome. Well, uh, Mark Zepp, everybody, I think, in the Coonhound world pretty much knows Big Mark, who worked for Wick Outdoor Works for many years. He got involved in coyote calling and hunting and did a lot of videos. He did some really first-class videos on coyote hunting. And he lived out in Tucson, Arizona, and, and all. But that's just something I I, I was going to say a while ago, I – I bought a call and all that. It's not the high-tech stuff that we've got now. Uh, but I never really got into it much. My friend Gary Robertson uh, that has the Carnivore TV show, uh, he really is into that and does quite a bit of it. Well, well, let's uh, – I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I was messing around today, and I found an old light here. Uh, that uh, was made by Sunburst Light Corporation. Mark, are you old enough to remember Sunburst Lights? I remember the big old battery packs that went across your shoulders and made an X on your back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I put a a, a post on uh, Facebook today about a light here. Uh, Excuse me just a minute. I tell you what, man, I got the Hong Kong flu or something here trying to get a hold of me. I'm coughing and hacking. But anyway, I posted about I found this light. It was my boy's light. 
Sunburst made a little light. They called it the Hawk, and it was uh, like a utility light. Uh, you could stick it in your back pocket, and it had a cord on it, and then you put you could put it on your head. On on uh, anyway, like a regular uh, belt light, I guess you could say. And uh, and I was looking the battery's bad, and I was asking if anybody knew where I could get a battery for it. I I don't need it. I just thought it'd be fun to, to get it back up to speed. And Kevin Self down South Carolina said, yeah, I like those uh, sunburst lights with those uh, big <laughs> suspenders and that row of batteries around He said, made you look like a suicide bomber. <laughs> I never thought about that, but... Oh, man, but, yeah, that was the deal. I mean, they had the batteries all way lined around a big a big leather belt. Had them big know, old and, suspenders uh, that went with them. That, oh. Yeah, yeah. But that was the Cadillac of the night hunt lights back then. And then Jarvis Humphrey started marketing that raw dog light, a blue box light that was real popular with the uh, – with the PKC or PCA hunters back in the day. We'll have a session one day and talk about just lights because there's quite a history of that. And, and there is a chapter in my book called To the Dogs of Coon Hunter's Journey called Let There Be Light. And it, it details that history of lights going all the way back to the old whalebone oil lights and then the carbide lights and, and uh, kerosene lanterns and, then the Wheat Light and Dane Phillips, a Nightlight Co uh, Corporation, uh, started that or invented the Coon Hunter's Favorite, uh, which had a rheostat on it. We'll talk about that sometime. But anyway, Keston used to hunt with the little one of those little orange uh, yeah, case, yeah. K lights. <laughs> I thought I really had something uh, uh, because what I had before that. Was I don't even know what they're called. You could buy them at like Walmart. It was a flashlight and uh, just took a normal bulb and it took a big old square battery with two springs on each corner. And, yeah, and that's what they told me to buy, and I bought it. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I was hunting with. And then uh, I got that little K light <laughs> with the cord, and I, I I used it for golly forever. And then I talked myself into buying. I won't say what kind it was because it turned out being junk, but it was one of them. It was a 28 volt belt light. And uh, it was real bright and it lasted me probably, I don't know, I want to say two months and it broke. And I sent it back and they sent it back to me and I used it about two weeks and it broke. And I just never sent it back and went back to using that old K light. And I used that all the way up until I quit coon hunting and then. When I got back into it, I brought bought the uh, Bright Eyes Viper. But and that's what you're hunting with now. That was going to be my question, you guys. What are you hunting with now? Uh, what are you hunting with, Mark? Micro. Mm -hmm. Micro is that like the Viper? The, lighter, the lighter weight, weight or yeah. is, is the one what? before the Viper? Mm -hmm. I bought that. The one. I see. One with the blue trim. Yeah. The micro. Uh, it was right before the Viper come out. And then I bought the Viper last year, and then yeah. they came out with a new version of the Viper this year. I think it's called the Heat Seeker. 
Yeah. 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 Well, that's one thing Ray always, Ray Conrad with Bright Eyes, he always comes out with a new light at Autumn Oaks. <laughs> and then he'll have them at, at Grand American. He'll come in there with a whole bunch of lights, a bunch of lights, and he'll be sold out by about Friday, about midday Friday, and he'll be packing up going home <laughs> when everybody else is trying to sell there. I mean, he... He rolls the lights, but I talked to him when Ray was on the podcast here about the first time I ever saw him. He was on, had a little table out there under the kind of on the outside of the vendor barn, uh, you know, and uh, I'd never heard of Bright Eyes lights, but boys started buying them. They kind of had a small battery pack, and he's, he's done real well. And there's so many lights out there. I was thinking about buying a new light before. Uh, going to the White River, where I fooled around right now, and and haven't uh, got it done. But I hunt with a K Light Zoom. Um, I had the first edition, uh, and then they came out with the second edition with the little modules uh, for your uh, walking light, and uh, and so that's what I use and. And I like it. I like the idea that you can zoom your spot down and make it real tight, especially uh, to look at a coon in a tree. Uh, and it's about the only one I think that's out there that you can do that, that you can adjust your spot from tight to wide. It's kind of like the old uh, wheat lights were like yeah. that. You know, you could, you could turn the switch and you could flood it. Or bring it to a to four whopping <laughs> volts of power. Look like about like a, the lights on a lightning bugs, but uh, but, <laughs> but they find good. Uh, I had I was going to ask you a question. Not to change the subject or anything, but what kind of guns do y'all use? What model? I'm not. I mean, I know twenty twos, but what kind do y'all use? I am using the new Henry uh, Survivor rifle right now, the uh, synthetic one that comes apart. Uh, I've mine. Uh, I've got a sc my scope mounted hard on it, so I don't take it apart no more. Uh, with a light hanging off the side of the scope, it it does a awesome job for me. And before that, I I carried uh, just a Rawlsy breakdown single shot, and uh, I just got tired of loading it every time. That's why I quit using that's, it. That's me. I I've had the same gun. I've shot. I used to trap some too, and uh, when I trapped, it's what I always carried trapping too. I just got one more twenty two crickets I've had since I was like seven years old. Single shot. And it's aggravating trying to stick it in that hole, that bullet in that hole. But you know, I, especially when it's when it's like ten degrees, that gets rough. Yeah, but I'll tell you a funny story. That's the toughest little gun that I've ever had in my life. I beat weeds down with it. I beat through brush with it. And can you believe I put a scope on that when I bought that new? I put a scope on it, and I've never shot that gun on paper since I put a scope on it. And that was when I was like seven or eight years old, and I'm 28 now, and it's been beat through the woods. And that thing's still dead on the money. 
After I saw that. Well, that's a good scoop. <laughs> yeah. 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 I got uh, now my Rosie. Oh, man. I bet I've had it 20 years. Uh, and it's a youth model breakdown. And uh, like I say, I'll, I'll, it's going to the White River for backup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, the rifle that I hunted with the most in my years of Michigan, like I said, I was there 22 years. I've always been, I just mentioned this on a Facebook post the other day, most people consider me a cheapskate. But uh, I bought a Brazilian-made copy of a Nylon oh. 66. It was made by a company called FIE. It was made in Brazil when Remington, when the patent was up on a nylon 66. And I hunted with that gun with open sights for over 20 years, I know, in Michigan and killed a boxcar load of coons, I would bet. That's an exaggeration, but a lot of coons. But the downfall to that gun was the stock is plastic. And time after time of propping it up against a tree and letting it fall and hit the ground or propping it up against the side of the pickup or something, that stock would get cracked and I'd tape it up with black electrical tape. But that was a good, good shooting gun, and I've still got all the works for that gun, but the stock's all in pieces. But that's what I used for years. I tried using a Marlin, and I don't remember the number of it, but it had the uh, uh, magazine rod that's a under model the barrel. 60. Yes. I lost two of those, and they no. don't give them away. That they they're proud of them, and so I said, "Man, I got to get do better than this." And I think I was at a hunt in Worcester, Ohio, and the guys up in that part of Central Ohio would know this thing is called fin, feather, and fur, or something. This fin and feather up there, and I was up there. Yep, I've seen them. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I bought this Marlin seven ninety five. It's got a black composite stock, but it's got a clip to it. A nine, I think it's a nine shot clip. And I got an old Tasco three to nine power scope on it. And I've killed a bunch of coons with it. It's very accurate. And uh, But I've got 22s that, you know, uh, one of my favorites is it's still in a box I've never shot. And it's a, it's a 9422 Winchester, the fancy one with the checkered stock and four and a pitched grip and all and hand, I don't know what you call it, the, the hand grip. 
but it's got a coonhound's head engraved on one side of the receiver and a coon's head engraved on the other oh. side of the receiver. And uh, it's it's quite is that a, a lever gun? Deal. But uh, I thought it was. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a '94 Winchester thirty thirty, but it's a '94 So It's a twenty two caliber. Yeah, yeah, pretty neat little gun. But that one's never been shot. Now, what you know? What the good is a gun? You keep it in a box and never shoot it. I mean that. I don't know. I keep saying, well, you know, it's worth more. Well, what am I going to do with it? I'm not going to sell it, <laughs> you know? Well, I, mean, uh, I don't know. You collect stuff like that. I got knives and things like that that I've collected, you know, <laughs> and I'm saving them. What am I saving them for? You know, you can't take well, them with you. Well, Christmas you know, is coming. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I could hit my... I'm just going to send y'all a, a jar of apple butter I got from <laughs> my old buddy Lindell Price fixed me up. Man, I I got some of that good Virginia apple butter shipped down here the other day. Well, listen, guys, uh, this has been our uh, kind of a laid-back, kick-back, uh, just get-together-with-friends type episode, and it, it's been a lot of fun seeing you guys again. I I wanted to, uh, just before we get out of here, I know everybody's either tired from hunting or working that honeydew list. I'm, I'm working the honeydew list here at the house for Ella to get things done before. Mark and I are taking off uh, from the date of this uh, podcast this is a, we're recording this on a Sunday evening. On the next Sunday evening, you and I will be treeing raccoons in the White River Refuge. Yes, sir. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to take Keston out there next year and introduce him. I've been uh, seeing the post on Facebook, uh, the, uh, uh, Preserve opened up, or the refuge opened up, I think, about three days ago, three or four days ago. And, guys, it's dry this year, and it's the access is, is easy. Guys have been treeing a lot of coon. I talked to Alan Bridges, who does another podcast with Coon Hunting University, and he was out for his first time this year. And I think he said after a couple of nights, their party of four had treed 36 coon. So they, they'd had a pretty good time. And then he called me today. He was on the way back home. I, I thought they were staying four nights, but maybe I misunderstood. But anyway, they dropped the call, so I didn't get to see what how that finished. Heard one of the boys talking about a dog got behind water. Uh, he thought maybe on some kind of island or something. He couldn't get to him and had to enlist some duck hunters with a boat to get out and get his dog. That, Mark, that has never happened to us. And this will be our 12th year that uh, I'll be going out there. And Nubbin has been going many, many more years than that. So anyway, but uh, Keston says that once the deer season is over, he can get serious about coon hunting. He's just been messing around <laughs> up to this point. 
Uh, I, I, I was pretty. I was, I was hunting six, seven nights a week before deer season came in. I just and I've still hunting. Well, there isn't any more than that. So I mean, yeah. how, how you going hunt any harder? And I, I still, I'm still going. I've kept back to two or three nights a week through deer season, but I believe deer season, well, as far as rifle season goes, I believe uh, next next week might be the last week of it, I believe. But after mm-hmm. that, I'm to six and seven nights a week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I went the other night. Uh, it was cold. It was real cold, and we ended up trying to. Yeah. Let's delve <laughs> into that a little bit. we got a little time here. Um. Clyde was kind of upsetting you a little bit there. You got a 15-month-old, about coming 16-month-old walker dog. Been doing awful good. Went through a little hiccup. He got caught in an electric fence. Got his leash lead caught in an electric fence. That was quite an ordeal, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he was actually caught. But the S-hook on the end of the leash caught the high-tensile wire. And every time the rivets in his collar touch his neck, it shocked him. And I couldn't get him unhooked from the fence because it shocked me. I had to go all the way back to the truck and get a pair of rubber gloves and come back and get him off there. And uh, messed him up for a night or two. But he, he's he's about back. I hunted the other night and turned him loose. And he shot up on the side of a ridge and struck a track and run it about 150 yards and just quit it. I don't know what happened. He just dropped it and went on. And... Uh, Struck another track and run it like he was looking at it. Fell treed and I went to him and it's slick as a ribbon. And I, I was mad by then. And uh, cut him loose off that and he ended up 0.6 treed. And he was standing. I mean, it was cold. I mean, he was in the 20s and he's standing in the creek treed. And uh, he had his coon there and then cut him loose off that and he went 800 yards and had another coon. And then I went to the house after that. Mm-hmm. He he ended it with a good note. It's amazing how it can go downhill and then just get out there and do it right time or two, and he's back into it. Yeah. 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 You haven't been coon hunting here lately, Uh, have you, Mark? I haven't coon hunted any this weekend. Uh, I hunted a couple nights last week, but uh, not much, not much lately. Well, it, that cold wind blowing and and all that stuff would kind of kind of change things up. What are some of your traditions? Do your either of your families have traditions for Thanksgiving? Things that you usually do. I know used to go to my grandmother's in Tennessee and we'd go rabbit hunting on Thanksgiving morning. That was kind of a tradition with us. Do y'all do y'all have any of those kind of kind of things in your families? I've got uh, four or five different dinners to go to this week, but uh, as far as me, no, not really no traditions. I, I show up. By the time I get there, half the people's gone because I hunt all day. I don't get there. To... <laughs> yeah, most of the time when I get there, about everybody's gone and I'm eating leftover. The turkey legs are all gone. you got a little bit. Yeah. You may have that little nub that's right on the back end that's left. Yeah. Maybe some dress. What do you call it? Stuffing or dressing where you live? Stuffing. It's dressing Stuffing. here. What about you, Mark? <laughs> yeah. Dressing? Yeah. 
Yeah. We always had dressing, too. Ella and I were just talking about that today. She make well, Ella uh, lived in New Jersey for many years. She and I both are from the same town in West Virginia. But, uh, you know, as things happened, she married and went to New Jersey. And uh, many of the the traditions, you know, that she has were things that, that she acquired up there. She makes a terrific dressing <laughs> or stuffing, she calls it. But she makes it with light bread. And I was always used to cornbread dressing, we called it. We made it in a, you know, you took the cornbread and, and baked it in a cast iron skillet. And my mother put a little bit of uh, stale, she would say stale, light bread, four or five slices, I guess, or whatever. And then she'd add, you know, the drip, I don't know, the seasoning and the sage and all that. I got my mama's recipe. So just for fun each year, I make a pan of that cornbread dressing, you know, and uh, that <laughs> giblet gravy, you know, cook up those hearts and I guess it's the gizzards, and I don't know what all goes in it, the neck and all that. Like, did you all do any of that stuff at your house? We do not. <laughs> we, my, my grandmother you always did. And, uh, but uh, after her passing it, that yeah. kind of ended here. I see. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's... I don't know. The older you get, I think the traditions mean more to you. You know that. I don't know. I, I guess the kids growing up now, their Thanksgiving tradition will be mac and cheese and uh, chicken nuggets. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that'll be Thanksgiving meal. But uh, well, I always look forward to Thanksgiving. I'd come home from Michigan and drive down to West Virginia. And, and have a big dinner and watch football and yeah. sleep <laughs> and talk dogs with my dad. You know, that became the tradition for many, many years. Maybe listen to my dad play the fiddle a little bit. and, and uh, But we'd just sit for hours and and talk about our hunts and our dogs and, and all that. And that's hunting's always been a big part of my my Thanksgiving for sure. And uh, the boys in Arkansas, the black and tan boys have a tradition over Thanksgiving weekend. They go to Mariana, Arkansas there and have a black and tan reunion. And that was started, I think, by Jarvis Humphers and some of those guys. And I've been there uh, with Nubbin. And uh, it, it's a great time. But we don't go anymore because it is held right over Thanksgiving weekend, and we like to be with our families. Cass? Mm -hmm. oh, no, nothing. nothing? No, no. <laughs> you gave me the finger. No. <laughs> I, I scratched my our, head there. Uh, I got you. At our Thanksgiving you. thing, uh, talking dogs is like uh, I've been adopted in because there ain't nobody there. To talk dogs to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, that's the thing with a lot of families that, that, that they're not involved. It's like with the grandchildren, my my uh, 
granddaughter's in, up in the Chicago area, and I won't be seeing her this Thanksgiving. And Ella's um, daughter's two children are with their dad this Thanksgiving, and and her uh, blended family will have uh, his children here with us, but uh, they would look at me <laughs> like I had two heads if I started talking about the well, coon hunting yeah. or something like that. But family is very important. Tradition is very important, and we all have different ones, and it all means something different to us. But I think traditionally across the South, most families, especially those that lived in the country, had some type of hunting associated with Thanksgiving Day. And I think for a lot of them, it was probably uh, either deer hunting uh, that morning or possibly if they had beagles, you know, to go rabbit hunting. And that's what we did in Tennessee always. But Well, we're going all going to try to go to the Grand American this year. Uh, Keston, have you been? I've never been, but I'm looking forward to going. All right. Well, you you're gonna put mark another one off your bucket list. There, you got autumn oaks under your belt. Yeah, I'm. I've always wanted to go to autumn oaks, and it's just the first year I really had a chance to. And my was do the Grand American too. Oh yeah. And, uh, How many years you've been going to Grand American? Mark? <laughs> uh, you know, back in. <laughs> The good stud dog years, you know, I went every year with the dreamer dog. I was always set up in the barn for years. Uh, and before that, I always went down just yeah. to yeah. look and uh, hunt a couple times. Uh, yeah. I've been going for a long time. Yeah, well, you know, the first weekend after New Year's, first full weekend, meaning a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, is the Grand American started, I believe, in 1966 or 7. I can't remember exactly. But it's a great time if you get tired of that ice and snow and, and uh, want to get away for a while. I can't guarantee you that you won't have ice and snow in South Carolina, but most years it's pretty nice. And uh, just a huge crowd of people, huge uh, vendor uh, uh, assortment there, virtually everybody that's anybody in the Coonhound Supply business will be there. Um, I'll have to get our folks from out of DU Supply, and I'll take a moment just to thank Buddy Woodbury and Jason Doobie and all the crew at DU Hunting Supply uh, for making this podcast possible. Uh, when get those guys out there, I, I would I know they would enjoy it. But uh, anyway, we'll be there. I'll be uh, most likely hanging out in the vendor barn, the big white vendor barn, at the American Cooner Full Cry booth. I want to tell the listeners real briefly here an offer that I'm going to make for uh, Christmas. If you uh, this podcast will air on December 5th, so there'll be plenty of time to get an order in for Christmas. My book, Gone to the Dogs and Coon Hunter's Journey, sells for $25. The new uh, Gone to the Dogs hats are available at $25. I'm going to bundle those two items uh, this Christmas for $40, so you can save 20% if you buy both. And uh, that's at stevefielderbooks.com. 
and uh, be happy to ship one out your way. We'll sign the the book if you'd like to have it signed to someone in your family or a friend, and uh, that's all we're going to say about that. Well, guys, what's burning in your soul that you didn't get to say tonight? Anything? I believe I'm good. You good? Be yeah. About ready to go to bed so you can get up and go hunting again, huh? I sort of. It's sort of a love hate relationship. I I like going, but I don't like waking up. <laughs> I don't. These millennial, you know, this younger generation, they want to spend half the time and stay up all night and sleep all day. Sounds yeah. like a coon hunter. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty much what I do, and uh, you know, yeah. sometimes I said. I think I ought to just go load them dogs up. I don't need to sleep. I I know I'll wake up if I don't go to sleep. I'll be already be awake. <laughs> just hunt all night and hunt all day the next day. Thought about that several times. Yeah. Well, Mark, do you get the whole week off for Thanksgiving? You're still working, man. I gotta you go, go in tomorrow. Go in work tomorrow. Through Wednesday. And then I'm off. Okay. Then you're gonna be a yeah. So, all right, the bear season's over. All, about all you can do, can you coon hunt now, or do they no, close that we, down? No, we're open until February, sometime in the end of February, I think. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, okay, I hope you guys are enjoying uh, these cooler nights, and, and uh, the dogs are doing good, and and all that, Mark, I'll be seeing you in about six days from this this mm-hmm. date, and we'll head out to Arkansas, and we'll see if we can go out there and tree a few as nubbing more because of them big old Arkansas mm-hmm. coons. I can't wait. So. <laughs> yeah, me either. Folks, I appreciate you hanging with us. This has been kind of just like an unstructured visit among friends here and i hope this thanksgiving holiday season all this is going to be after thanksgiving for sure uh but uh, i hope that uh you know you have a great holiday season your family's all well and healthy and and uh, doing things that you enjoy and uh well if we don't see you at the white river we'll see you down at orangeburg south carolina somebody asked you uh Worst fielder just telling him it's nothing new. He's gone to the dogs. Good night, guys. Mm-hmm.